Hello, I'm Neil Roberts, and I've been volunteering in community businesses for the last eight years. The Community Business Fix is a monthly podcast designed to shine a light on the projects in which communities are coming together to transform the places they live. It's brought to you by Power to Change, the independent trust that supports community businesses in England. In this show, we're in Liverpool to visit an area that was making the news in 1981. This show is about positive action, but it feels important to mention the Toxteth uprisings as one of many turning points in the history of what is known as the Granby Triangle. The roots of the uprising are complex. There had been racial tension in the area for decades, and concerted political action was building. Joe, like all of the local residents, recognised the unrest put the area on the map for all the wrong reasons. The most people know about here, they call it Toxteth, with the Toxteth riots in 1981, which was a very negative time. And so whenever anybody mentions Toxteth in the press, it's mainly negative comments about things that have happened in the past because they'll instantly go, oh, that's where the riots were. Alongside this build-up of tension, docks and factories had been shutting and there was accelerated economic decline which created a perfect storm in an area of low-cost accommodation described by the Liverpool Echo as a mixture of bohemianism and despair. Another major factor was a plan to extend the M62 motorway to the docks. It never happened, but the mass demolition of Georgian housing in preparation for this blighted the area. Some locals described the council's plans as ethnic cleansing, a way of breaking up the politics of the area. The properties that remained were bought up by slum landlords who overcrowded the houses, with predictable results. Here are three women who lived in the area and have fought for it. Hazel Tilly, Nazra Hill and first, Eleanor Lee. I think it was after that that there was a sort of unspoken agreement that was to disinvest from the area and to split it up, erase it and rebuild. It seemed to happen overnight, really, and there was a lot of businesses as well that just seemed to go like like dominoes. It just changed rapidly. The, the lights weren't being repaired, the streets weren't being swept, the bin men weren't coming. Parents were taking their kids past tinned up houses on the way to school because the area emptied out. But we were called a twilight zone. They didn't know what to do with us and they thought if they left us alone it would, everything would fall down. After 1981, you would have thought that there would have been a huge effort by the council and the government just in terms of doing a superficial change and improvements, wouldn't you? Just a patch-up job, you know, keep people quiet, blah de blah And there was absolutely nothing of the kind, but there was this absolute withdrawal. With no help from the council, the residents had two choices. Give up and let the area fall further into decline, or take matters into their own hands. The Granby Residents Association was formed. Eleanor Lee, but first Hazel Tilly, who was one of the founding members. The Granby Residents Association was really a group that demonstrated against, that presented papers to the council, that worked with Liverpool University to find alternative uses of the houses. Granby residents fought demolition for almost two decades. They got funding, 
They did all the right things. They came up with sort of alternative plans for the architectural drawings for how the houses could be renovated. They went round the country looking at different options. One of those options was, of course, to renovate. And the Housing Association, plus Dane, did bring one block of houses back to life in the late 90s. Joe was one of the residents who moved in, with high hopes. At first, it was strange moving into a place where there is about 12 houses facing you, which are occupied out of 50. The one block we're living on, completely refurbished. And you had the expectation, well I had the expectation that the rest would be getting done the same. So you just carry on with your life as normal. This is around 2000. You know, you're doing your work, you're going towards the match, you're doing the usual things. And it was all fine until it gradually became more and more clear that things were not as they appeared. My friends, when they'd come to the house, started to comment about how come your houses are done and all the rest are wrecked. Even then you're still saying, well, hopefully they're going to get refurbished. That hope was to no avail, which led to even more residents moving out and the decline of the Residents Association. But the remaining local residents didn't give up and started casting around for new ideas. Ronnie Hughes was invited by Eleanor to a meeting to help them discover a way forward. There was a lot of anger in the room and I was just the latest person who'd come in to try and work out what they wanted. Granby Residents Association had, had run out of energy and steam, but were still around. And it was Eleanor and I actually decided, we need to be something new here. That something new was a community land trust. If you've listened to the community business fix before, you'll have heard about them. If not, CLTs are a form of community-led housing, set up and run by ordinary people to develop and manage homes as well as other assets important to that community, like community businesses, food growing and workspaces. Here's Ronnie Hughes again. I remember one afternoon, Eleanor and I just, we, I just said to Eleanor, shall we just start calling this new thing we want to be the Granby Four Streets Community Land Trust? And uh, we just looked at each other and said, yeah, go on, let's do it. And then the adventure began. The CLT adventure, chaired by Erica Rushton, another local looking to help, gave new impetus and energy to the many initiatives already being taken by local residents, old and new. There was energy and a newfound pride in the area and its environment. Eleanor started sweeping the streets and painting and gardening and people joined her. We set up a market here. That was like really key to infusing a whole new energy into which came into the CLT and a whole new lease of life and a much more irreverent attitude to, or a much freer attitude to breaking the rules. We didn't ask permission for any of it. The whole thing of doing the windows up, of um, putting various bits of artwork and how much people have done, and doing the gardens, in a sense, it actually puts the council on a back foot when, when they want to do something. And he come up and instantly thinks, you know, uh oh, here we go again, what are they doing here to stop us doing this? And it's not 200 people on the street shouting, leave our houses alone. It's a very subtle way of doing something. And they can see 
counter to what they were saying originally, they could see that people do want to live here. To come into what had been a really a street which was doomed and an area which was doomed and had been for years and years and years. So it was now full of plants and greenery and we were serving great hot food, homemade bread, more bric-a-brac than you're likely to see in a month. And it was half market, half party a bit, half street party. I think for a long time we haven't been able to see each other, the community, because the community kind of went underground it was like you don't see anybody because there was no meeting places such a lot of the pubs have closed um so the market you're seeing people that you haven't seen for years and as well as you'll purchase stuff and food especially you're there for a chat and to see people so that's good because we haven't been able to get together for a long time this community more people got to know that there was a shift in granby through the market and the planting than any document that was written, I think. Yes, as is often said, actions do speak louder than words. But alongside all of this activity in the area, street sweeping, gardening, art, a street market, there was a document being written. It was an action plan, a call to arms, called Clouds and Silver Linings. It was inspired by a failed deal between a developer and the council that almost torpedoed the plans of the CLT just as they were getting started. The council's plan was to parcel up the housing and sell it off to one big developer who promised regeneration and local amenities like a shiny new leisure centre. The deal fell apart, almost scuppering the CLT in the process. Eleanor Lee, chair of Granby Four Streets again. There was a void then. The council had put all their eggs into this one basket. The basket had was weak. And then there was a pause so that they would at least have to like gather their energies together to work out what to do next. And that's when we submitted the Clouds and Silver Linings document. Alongside the success of the street market in bringing new people to the area, Clouds and Silver Linings proved to be one of the biggest turning points in the history of Granby Four Street CLT. It was a bold plan, a mix of ideas playing to the strengths of private and public partners, a vision of collaboration rather than confrontation. Community in every sense. There could be lots of partners who played different roles in it, and it was a mixture of private developers, housing associations, but also people doing up their own houses, like homesteading and homes for a pound, and there was cooperative and the CLT. That laid the ground to pull some councillors who were interested. So I think there was a couple, well, one really councillor who was very keen on it. It just shifted the terms of the debate and the possibilities of what could happen. In terms of promoting the idea, the timing couldn't have been better. The media loves an anniversary and 30 years had now passed since the riots. What was it like to live in Toxteth today? Media savvy Ronnie Hughes and other representatives from the area were invited onto local radio to tell their stories. We'd agreed with between ourselves before we went in that though the stations would obviously want to talk to us about the riots, we weren't going to. So once the red light went on, we said, yeah, yeah, it's 30 years since that and it's all anybody ever talks about. What we're here to talk about the Granby Four Streets Community Land Trust, this new idea we have and what we want to do about the place. 
And then we talked about the street market, the gardening, the cleaning up, the painting, and our ideas about getting the place sorted out. The local radio stations and the local newspaper were all really good on this, and from then on gave us pretty constant support at various milestones. As the momentum for change built, another character joined the cast, Xanthi Hamilton, who was scoping out potential housing projects for a social investor. Having faced so many hurdles and suffered so many setbacks, finally Eleanor Lee and Granby 4 Street CLT had a lucky break. It was just a bit of a fluke, because she was looking, or her social investor was, and she was doing the work to find a project, a housing project, And it wasn't even definitely going to be here. It could have been in the States, here or in the States. And she did a tour of the sort of many empty tins up streets in Liverpool, of which were some, were some. So she was shown by this person, Jonathan Brown, who does tours of the city. So that was our lucky break, really. When you came here, you didn't see an area that had been written off. You saw an area with potential. In 2012, Xanthi Hamilton introduced the Granby CLT to Assemble, a young architecture collective, then mainly known for transforming a Clerkenwell petrol station into a cinema. As their publicity proudly states, some artists seek to decorate the world and some to reflect or question it. Assemble are working with all of us to change it. They were exactly the kind of stakeholder envisaged when Ellen Lee and the Granby team were writing the Clouds and Silver Linings manifesto. They were just so innovative and kind of fearless, I think. You know, they didn't have any of the baggage about this area. They produced this document which was on behalf of the social investor, so it had all the designs for Juicy Street. It was valuing this everything that was in this area and this area was only seen as representing problems and negatives and threats and danger. And it was like the opposite of that. They respected what traditionally was rubbished about this area. This unlikely coupling led in 2015 to Assemble unexpectedly winning the prestigious Turner Prize for their work in the area. One of the nationals wrote at the time, Granby Street has become a rare beacon for thoughtful, human-scaled urban regeneration. Some of the original houses have been cleverly refurbished, while the shelves of two others have been combined to form a community meeting space, cafe and indoor garden. On the streets, planters improvised from salvaged materials are painted in vivid colours and gardens are bursting with flowers. Assemble ploughed the Turner Prize money into the Granby workshop, which has taken over one of the street's old corner shops, where residents make fireplaces and light fittings out of rubble. It felt like a lot of the pieces were falling into place, but the CLT still needed more funding to realise their plans. Hazel Tilly's on the CLT board. She explains that, like many community businesses, they turned to the Independent Charitable Trust, whose vision is to create better places through community businesses. We got a lot of help from Power to Change and that was absolutely critical for us because that helped us set up our first business plan. With the business on a firm footing, Granby CLT took on their first 10 homes. The plan was to refurbish them, rent some out and sell the others. 
Ronnie Hughes and first Eleanor Lee. We've now completed those first ten houses. Five have been for sale and five at affordable rent. So the five for affordable for sale, we took ages trying to find a legal format. The resale clause that we put in, because we always knew we wanted to sell some of the houses just to repay some of the money we borrowed. We put in a resale price covenant on the ones that we would sell so that nobody could profiteer. So the agreement of the houses that the, the CLT have sold is that when people do come to sell them on, they cannot sell them on for any more than whatever change has happened to the median wage in Liverpool. The CLT turned to a local black and racial minority housing association for support in managing the five rental properties. They approached the allocation with similar care to that adopted with the sale properties. Tracy Gore is director of the Steve Biko Housing Association. In terms of the how do you select people, there is a criteria, there's a points-based system. As well as having a local connection, there needs to be a housing need and we follow that criteria when selecting tenants. The Community Land Trust board members weren't involved in that so that the selection process was seen to be independent and that we followed the procedure. It really is important that you take professional advice, particularly if you are talking about renting properties because there are legal obligations that you have to adhere to. You know, there's tenancy agreements that have to be given and you want to make sure you're given the correct tenancy agreement for the right circumstance. The CLT from the outset very much wanted to work along the lines of a social landlord but obviously with much more of a community feel and community impact and wanted to make sure that tenants had a proper tenancy agreement. They wanted to know that tenants repairs were going to get done when they wanted to be done. They wanted to know that they're accounting for the rent and making sure that money is set aside and kept for the repairs was going to happen. Granby's experience highlights that it's vital to build relationships with like-minded partners, but equally importantly, with those who have the legal and business expertise you lack. In this show, we've been covering a story that's been going on for over three decades. Many of the other projects we've featured in the Community Business Fix have been long-term. It can be incredibly rewarding, but all experience highs and lows and all have their own complexities. But with housing demand in Britain long outstripping supply, projects such as Granby are becoming more and more vital. This is why Power to Change are launching their Homes in Community Hands programme. Rose Seagreef is the programme manager on community-led housing work at Power to Change. And she explains why there is such a need for different ways of developing housing. For lower earners and potentially young people, young families and, and older people, it's really, really tough to find secure tenures, you know, so for long-term tenures at affordable rates of really decent homes that, that meet the needs of whatever age group you're at. And this is really what a lot of communities are doing now. They are trying to meet the needs of their own communities to provide homes that are suitable for whatever stage of life they're at and for whatever they can afford on the income that they're earning in that place. 
Last year, the government announced that through their Community Housing Fund, they are making £163 million available across England until 2021. In tandem with that, Power to Change is launching a Homes and Community Hands Fund with £4.2 million to help community groups at the early stages of the house-building process, including identifying a site and getting a planning application ready. This programme is targeting areas with very specific needs. Some, uh, particularly around in rural areas, often have some very talented retired people with enormously good professional skills like architecture or quantity surveying or accountancy and so on. But the kind of areas we're supporting are more disadvantaged areas where quite often those kind of skills aren't available. So we're trying to support community groups to build their own capacity to deliver projects, so buy in a project manager or backfill some of their own time so they can devote the time they need to to what a, is going to be a complex project and also to buy in as soon as possible all the different kind of professional skills they will need to access to develop a successful project to make sure that what they're doing is viable and can be done on whatever site they're looking at. So we fund architects fees, quantity surveyors fees, financial viability, checking, a whole range of, of activities that go hand in hand with developing housing to make sure that community groups can get a planning application forward if they're doing new projects. As well as a grant, successful groups will get support from a community-led enabler. Steve Hoey from Leeds Community Homes is one of them. In Leeds there's a lot of empty homes activity with groups like Canopy and Latch and Gipsil and we've always been really inspired by the Granby Four Streets group and the, the project. There was so much good practice in Liverpool by that group it's just fantastic the way the community over such a long period of time has stuck with it and done the street markets and other projects and badgered the council over there and forged partnerships and relationships which are bearing fruit now. People have just got an idea, we can help them think that through and plan, get a group together, think about the legal issues, the visioning that they're going to have to go through, decision making processes. We can walk people through the whole process right from idea through to building their homes and then managing them long term. And there's a lot in between, obviously, which can be quite daunting, but it, it has been done, it can be done, and we can help people with that. What community groups do is they deliver far more than just homes. The whole process of community-led development engages with the wider community, creates opportunities for people to come together and create community, really, that may not happen with other developers. Just that involvement improves health and well-being, as does having a decent home. And quite often, the whole design of a project looks more widely at the public space and creates facilities and access to, to nicer places that people wouldn't have had before. Steve Hoey and Rose Seagrief. The Power to Change Homes in Community Hands Fund opens in early March 2019. You can find out more about it and the government's Community Housing Fund on the Community-Led Homes website, communityledhomes.org.uk. And if you're ever in Leeds, pop by the Community-Led Housing Hub and say hi to Steve and the team. As we do in every show, it's time to ask a community expert for their top tips. Keswick is a small market town in the Lake District. 
It's a popular place for people that like to hike up mountains, but tourism, along with other factors, have had an effect on housing for local people. Keswick CLT was formed in 2009 to try and address some of the housing issues in the area and now owns 40 properties. My name is Bill Bewley. I'm chairman of Keswick Community Housing Trust. Well, first of all, you've got to take advice and you need to listen to the advice, but then you have to make up uh, your own mind. I think it's very important that you have to have a vision as to what you're doing. Why do you want to provide affordable housing? What are the issues that make it uh, absolutely vital, in your opinion, to provide affordable housing? So you have to have that clear vision. But you also have to attach to that vision a certain amount of pragmatism. You have to accommodate a certain situation that will allow you to provide affordable housing. For example, on our first scheme, we hoped to build 11 houses. But one of those houses we were going to sell outright with a local occupancy clause on it, but we were going to sell it outright. So the owner of that house, technically speaking, wouldn't qualify under our allocations policy. But by selling one house, we were then able to provide 10 affordable houses to the people of Keswick. So in our opinion, that was a pragmatic approach and it was a practical approach in order to provide affordable housing. Everybody was telling me that it wasn't possible. Why is a community group doing this? This should be done by the local council. This should be done by somebody else. It should be done by central government. Yes, communities can provide uh, the best of community affordable housing. They know best. They know what's most suitable for their community. So I suppose just to convince everybody that communities can actually Uh, form a housing trust and successfully provide houses. That was Bill Bewley from Keswick Community Land Trust. If you'd like to find out more about their work, check out our show notes. Now back to Liverpool, where we'll finish in the company of landscape gardener Andrea, who's standing outside what looks like a pair of ordinary terraced houses. But come a little closer and take a peek. Just looking inside through the door, can see the trees, the palms, the ferns and everything. This is the famed Winter Garden Project. I'll let Andrea explain it. Okay, it's um, a two-up, two-down, which has no floors. Um, It was beyond renovation, so the architect assemble designed it as a winter garden, so it's a completely open terraced house, glass roof. Part of the Granby 4 Street CLT has involved developing spaces that bring people together. At the heart of the Winter Garden are four beach trees, with planting around them. It's very kind of cathedral-like, with all the features, so it's, it's making a feature of that and what plants would complement. This being Granby, the idea didn't end there. Upstairs, there's a flat that for six months of the year will be used by an artist in residence. The other six months, it will be rented out as an Airbnb. So a community area, an inspiring space and financially self-sustainable. Here's Nazra, but first, Vicky Evans-Hubbard, local resident and CLT board member. 
many people have fought really hard to make this happen. So we want it to stay and we want it to be here for future generations. So having that idea of self-sustainability in place is really important. So we hope to offer the meeting space and the community space uh, free of charge to any local groups or people that want to use it. So it's really important that we make the space upstairs pay for the running of the Winter Garden. So hopefully the Winter Garden will be transparent and the people will feel like they can come in and it is up to them what goes on in there. What about the houses themselves? That's, after all, what this project was all about at the beginning. Cosy terraces, once loved, now tinned up and unlovely. What happens when they're brought back to life and lived in by people like Nazra? She grew up in the area, moved away to get work, but has ended up back in the place she has always called home, Toxteth in Liverpool, and proud of it. It made me wish to improve the property because I have made improvements to floor and the windows, obviously, and my own personal furniture and touches. But it makes me want to look after this house. I don't want it to go to rack and ruin. I'm not going to allow it to go to rack and ruin because it was in such a great condition. This is like an original feature. This is... Obviously, it's great. You know, people... You visit me, I'll take the drinks outside. No one has to be indoors. We can just chill on the street. I'll have my music blasting. It's like a little party atmosphere. If you want to sit on the step and just have a little smoke or whatever, you, you know, you can, no one bothers you. People walk up and down either to get as a walkway or they live here. It's not, no, no one's strange knocking around or anything like that, so it's nice. Vicky Evans-Hubbard has moved to the area. She's involved with the CLT and, like Nazra, loves living here. When I moved here, just the community feeling, the friendliness of the residents here just completely blew me away. Everyone says to me how lucky you are to live here. And when people see my address, they're like, it's great around there now, isn't it? You know, so the whole kind of redevelopment of it, what the Community Land Trust has been doing, it's really created a buzz about Granby and it's starting to reverse the preconceived ideas about Toxted, Liverpool 8 and Granby in particular. So maybe, finally, Toxted in Liverpool will come to be known for something positive, something life-enhancing, proof that community is strong. It might be down, but it's never out. Let's leave the final word to long-term resident Joe, who we heard at the start of the show. When people do now say things like, oh, that's where the riots were, you know, hopefully they'll start saying, isn't that where people change their entire lives and help create a community? That's the power of change. If you have a housing project you need some support with, the Power to Change Homes and Community Hands Fund launches on the 11th of February and will be open for applications in March. You can find out more about it and the government's Community Housing Fund on the Community-Led Homes website, communityledhomes.org.uk. You can also find the latest news on events, other grants and support on the Power to Change website. That's powertochange.org.uk. 
We'll be adding links and other useful information on the show notes for this episode, and you can also connect with us by following on Twitter at the CB Fix. We'd love to hear your thoughts and about your experiences that connect with the show. We'd like to get these stories to as many people as possible, so we'd really appreciate it if you shared the show with at least one person you know that might benefit from hearing these stories. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Community Business Fix in your favourite podcast app. The benefit of being subscribed means you won't miss our next episode, where we'll be finding out more about community food projects. You've been listening to a Fieldwork production, commissioned by Power to Change. It was presented by me, Neil Roberts. Research and production by Curtis James. Sound and music by Simon James. Writing and executive production by Chris Paling.